This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. This BFM Budget 2024 special is brought to you by Marsing. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Budget 2024 was announced last Friday, the 30th of October, by Malaysia's Prime Minister and Finance Minister Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim under the theme Economic Reforms Empowering the People. So this second Blanjawan Madani has allocated a whopping 393.8 billion ringgit, the highest budget ever tabled by any government in Malaysia's history, uh, and about 90 billion ringgit from that total is set to be allocated for development expenditure. So on the show today, we want to have a broad discussion on some of the highlights in terms of allocations for the environment. So there were many measures supporting the ESG agenda, for example, 2 billion ringgit to support the National Energy Transition Roadmap. Uh, Also, that financial institutions will provide 200 billion ringgit financing to encourage low-carbon economy transition. There's about 600 million ringgit to acquire 150 electric buses and to also build three bus depots by Prasarana. Uh, other things, 4.7 billion ringgit to resume the proposed construction of five LRT3 stations that were previously cancelled. So again, all of this encouraging low carbon uh, economy transition. On the biodiversity and nature conservation side, one of the big ones, of course, was the 200 million ringgit allocation for the ecological fiscal transfer for biodiversity conservation. That's up from 150 million ringgit in budget 2023. Uh, aside from that, a total of 60 million ringgit has also been allocated to double the community of forest rangers that we currently have protecting our permanent forest reserves against loggers and poachers. So that's uh, so going, the increase is going to be to 2,000 rangers. In terms of climate mitigation, a whopping 11.8 billion ringgit allocated towards flood mitigation projects and 563 million ringgit allocated to rehabilitate over 2,000 high-risk slopes in the country. Uh, another 300 million ringgit was also allocated towards flood preparation by NADMA or the National Disaster Management Agency. So so there's a lot to unpack uh, and we're going to just focus on a few features today and helping me to do that are three different experts from various fields. So uh, earlier today, I caught up with Surin Suksuwan, Dr. Helena Vaki and Effendi Yang Amri uh, to get their thoughts on Budget 2024, you know, whether it was a biodiversity and conservation-friendly budget. First up, here's my conversation with Surin Suksuwan. He is a biodiversity conservationist and a sustainability practitioner. Welcome, Surin. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Juliet. Uh, weather is good now currently yeah his is looking a little bit better and uh yeah it's, it's so nice to have you back on the show we haven't spoken to you into uh, in a long time so i'm glad to have you here to help us break down budget uh 2024 and whether the environment and sustainability was prioritized in a meaningful way lah, i suppose is what we want to do so um okay let's start off with what you thought was some good highlights you know what are some things from uh, budget 2024 that you thought uh worked well uh in terms of supporting conservation yeah, thanks, Juliet. Um, so I think that uh, it's heartening to see that there is a gradual increase on some of the key allocations for uh, biodiversity conservation and, and, and also sustainability uh, as, as a whole, right? Um, for example, the EFP allocation has been increasing uh, year on year. Uh, I think last year was 150 uh, million ringgit. And yeah. and for next, sorry for this year's hundred fifty and next year it's going to be increased to two hundred uh, million. So at least you know it's on the kind of upward uh, trajectory. The enforcement 
uh, allocation uh, for community ranges, uh, for example, to to protect our uh, forest reserves against loggers and poachers, that's also been uh, increased to 60 million ringgit for next year. So these are quite positive uh, steps. There are also some uh, tax incentives and so on, you know, for, for the carbon market and, and, and other kind of uh, related uh, measures that can help protect our environment as a whole. So those are the positives, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's not that much, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> so I think we see. Yeah, there are some positive. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So good things. Okay. So again, the EFT, you know, I mean, I think when it first started, that was only 60 million, right? So now 200 million. Mm. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, mm. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, more patrols, you know, uh, we've been talking about that for years, isn't it? I think, what is it? Yeah. Almost 20 years? Some more than that? Possibly. Yeah, well, yeah, I think you're right. About 20 years. I mean, that's when we did. I think about 20 years ago, it was when uh, enforcement, biodiversity patrolling, wildlife patrolling really uh, became a, a major issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but just to put things into perspective, I mean, if you look at uh, the allocation for flood mitigation, right? And, uh, you know, flood mitigation is kind of like trying to fix the damage. Lah. And that allocation has, has gone up tremendously. I mean, I was just looking at some uh, figures. I was looking at the previous uh, budgets and uh, 518 million in 2018 for flood mitigation. And the 2024 budget is 11.8 billion ringgit. Wow. So, you know, yeah, we're yeah. talking about, I don't know, uh, I do the maths, like more than 20-fold increase. That's good. Whereas the EFT allocation has been increasing incrementally, right? maybe 50 million ringgit a year. So this is very disproportionate. So I think that what at least, uh, to me, it signals that the government seems to be putting more emphasis on the damage control Mm. rather than prevention. And what would have been better in terms of prevention then? You know, what what would you wish they had um, allocated some funds to? Yeah, so looking at flood mitigation alone, right? And we know that there are devastating effects of Mm. uh, flood mitigation, not just on biodiversity but on people's livelihoods as well. We, we, we remember the floods in in Kelantan, Johor, even in Selangor. You know, um, of course, Selangor was uh, affecting rural folks. But if you understand hydrology, then um, a lot of the flooding is due to uh, what happens upstream. Mm. Right? As um, poor slope management, when we have land clearing upstream, and that uh, obviously... Um, impacts on the forest, uh, the natural forest uh, ability to to regulate the, the the rainwater, right? Because when you have good forest, the the rainwater uh, the rainwater will be soaked up by the forest, slowly releasing to the rivers. But when the, when the forest is gone, then the rain rainwater is just gonna go into the rivers, and and that that's uh, that's going to cause uh, flooding. Um, so. If we have been good at protecting uh, the forest, then the scale of the the flooding would be less. Yeah, of course, some of the flooding can be uh, blamed on um, climate change. Yeah, you have high intensity of rain falling over a shorter period of time. That's one impacts of uh, climate change. But if we have been good at protecting the forest, then the natural ecosystem would be able to somewhat absorb. Uh, some of these impacts of, of, of climate change. So this is what we call climate uh, adaptation. So yeah, I think that if we have been better at protecting our forests, then 
the cleanup bill will be less. Yeah. So right. let's put more money into making sure that the, the state governments... So protecting forests in order to deal better with flood, that is that is definitely a, a niche-based solution. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, niche-based solution is a relatively new term, but in practice, you know, it's been done for, for many centuries already, right? Yeah. So I think that's one of the things that worries me the most. And and uh, I think in the 2023 budget, they were talking about something like 30 billion ringgit from flood mitigation um, until, was it 2030? So they're going to roll out this um, huge amounts every year for flood mitigation. So already, they are, they are, you know, essentially the government is, is aware that the flood is going to get worse. And that's why they're putting aside all these funds to mitigate the, the, the flooding. So that, and flood mitigation in the Malaysian context is usually engineering based. Mm, correct. It's all about engineering. Let's build more uh, big drainage, uh, concrete drains. Let's build, uh, you know, uh, water retention ponds. Um, all these kind of really expensive, uh, heavy engineering kind of works. Yeah. So the focus not so much on uh, conserving what we have, isn't it? Like you said, it's a bit more for damage control based on what you know, yeah, what has already happened, lah, in that sense. Yeah. So you know, there is a link to to EFT because if you are compensating the state governments um, to a level that is attractive enough for them to say, okay, fine, we'll forego forest clearing for mm-hmm. other purposes, right? because. Forest gets uh, damaged or cleared for two main reasons. Right? One is logging, but logging in Malaysia is usually selective logging. That means they don't clear the whole forest. They selectively log some trees, but the, there is some forest degradation, yes. But the worst uh, impact is when you actually clear the forest. And that's usually to convert the land use of the forest from forested areas to non-forest land uses such as agriculture, commercial use, infrastructure, and so on. And and we're seeing a lot of that. That's still happening. Right? The state governments are still approving uh, plans to to clear forests, whether it's for mining, infrastructure, and so on. And this is where the, the largest impact would, uh, would come, come from, you know, in terms of loss of forest cover, the ability to mitigate flood, loss of biodiversity, and, and so on. So if we can provide EFT transfers at the amounts that would make it attractive for the state government to say, okay, well, you know, if we can get this amount, then we don't need to clear the forest uh, in order to mm. stimulate our economic development. Then, yeah, that's where we should be going towards. Yeah. Okay, all right. And I wonder if we want to comment on, well, there's been 200 billion ringgit uh, allocated to support the National Energy Transition Roadmap, right? Uh, and uh, a lot of um, encouragement, I suppose, you know, a lot of financing to encourage low-carbon en- uh, economy transition. Anything from, you know, from that sector that you want to comment on? Well, maybe not so much on the energy sector because that's not uh, an area that I specialize in. But um, one of the things that did catch my eyes uh, on the incentives uh, for for companies to create carbon on the carbon market, right? Okay, yeah, so we have yeah. The carbon market on Gusana. Uh, additional 300,000 ringgit of additional uh, tax deduction for companies on measurement, reporting and verification. So it's, it's mainly related to uh, their reporting and verification. Now, this is something that I would like to link to forest conservation and EFT because one of the things that is missing and... and uh, it's been to me a, a big gap over the over the years. 
is on forest monitoring. Mm. Well, biodiversity monitoring as a whole, but forest monitoring specifically, right? Because if let's say uh, in the in the carbon market, uh, uh, one of the measures that can be taken is uh, uh, NBS, right? So so you can you can reduce uh, GHG emission uh, through several types of projects, right? Uh, you, you can have this kind of uh, uh, energy uh, reduction kind of measures, but but the other thing is, is NBS nature based uh, solutions, right? So so you can have projects whereby you 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 have the these carbon credits through uh, nature based uh, solutions, right? Whether it's through uh, reforesting areas or preventing the the deforestation of of, of uh, existing uh, forested areas, uh, but the, the gap here is on, on the monitoring uh, tools, mm, right? Mm. If you're going to get companies to, to trade in the carbon tax, right, and that's one of the uses of the forest monitoring, or if you want to, if the state, if federal government is giving money to the state government for uh, protecting their forests through the EFT mechanism, then you need to make sure that you have a really robust, credible, and independent forest monitoring system. Right, so that's the only way that you can verify if it's working or not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, federal government is giving what two hundred million ringgit could be increasing next year uh, onwards uh, to to the state governments. How does the federal government know that the state government is doing the job? Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Because the weakness in the in the system now is that the federal government is actually dependent on the state governments to report on their progress. There's no real independent you know, monitoring capacity on the federal government side. Mm. Right? Take a few officers in, in the uh, Natural Resources and Environment and Climate Change Ministry and RCC, right? They're not going to be going to the field to check on, on the, the, you know, success of these projects that they're funding through the EFT, right? right. So there has to be a, a, a mechanism uh, in, in, in which the federal government then can rely on this uh, independent forest monitoring to see okay is the state uh, the forest the forest cover in the state actually increasing reducing or being maintained and then you can link it to the amounts that you release to the states right it should be based on success mm. you do you meet your target you uh, you protect forest we're gonna give you more uh, so and and the link back to the carbon market as well so if if NBS uh, is is one of the projects that is going to be funded through the government market, then you need to have that robust forest monitoring as well so that the, co- the companies can then verify right, that uh, whatever uh, funding that they have provided uh, through, through their, the, the purchase of their carbon credit um, actually goes towards uh, forest conservation. Okay, so yeah, yeah I don't th- this is quite uncharted, right? So we haven't actually seen any of that ever uh, in Malaysia before, right? Well, you know, I've been sharing this old news clipping back from the from 2006, actually. And that time, the Datu Sri Najib was the DPM, the Deputy Prime Minister. And, and in, in that, the headline of that news article was that we're going to, the, government, the federal government is going to have a forest monitoring system in place. Uh, 2006, <laughs> so huh, you say? Okay. Now we are at 2023. Three, end of 2023, no less. Years later, and, and where is that forest management, forest monitoring system? Right, mm-hmm. uh, I would expect that in this day and age, that forest monitoring system should be publicly available, 
there should be some kind of web portal. There should be a dashboard. Say what's the forest cover every state? How much protected area in every state? What is the forest loss every year? And people can just come in and and get their data from there and and, and verify. Right. Mm-hmm. That sh- that should be the way forward. Instead, what you see now is everyone scrambling for data. Right. Uh, they're trying to get the data from the government. They can't get the data from government. They are relying on third-party data. This could be worked done by other researchers, universities, NGOs. And then when they present this data, sometimes the government will say, hey, you know, this is not official data. You know, we, we cannot accept this data. You should use the government one. But then where is the government no, official data? I mean, we do have at the minimum... Uh, when the government reports to the Convention for Biological Diversity, the CBD, the national reporting, then they'll say, okay, the forest cover last year was this uh, this much, you know, but there's no real methodology or, or you know, data that backs that up. Mm, you know, it's, mm-hmm. they're saying, oh, you have to trust this, this is the forest cover now. Right. And and if you look at the statistics, that right, it's been maintained at fifty five percent or something like that for the last few years, which is you know if, if you look at the the amount of land clearing that goes on around you, you start to think what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's due to the difference in the methodology, because the government methodology actually they take into consideration what is legally constituted as forest reserve, right? Yeah. So forest reserve then it goes into the statistic for forest cover. Never mind whether it's actually forested at that point in time or not. Yeah. Because as we know, that, that there's forest plantations being established in forest reserves, there's mining in forest reserves. Um, but if you don't take into consideration all, all the forest loss that is happening within the forest reserve, then, yeah, I mean, the picture will look good, right? You look yeah. like in your forest cover figure. So they, that's, that's why I'm saying there has to be an independent uh, forest monitoring uh, done. And uh, we can look at best examples uh, around the world. Brazil, for example, has been doing a, a pretty good job of doing that. And, and they have some kind of a multi-stakeholder process uh, whereby the, the, the forest monitoring is done, data is available. Uh, yeah, okay. so it's then, you know, held accountable uh, in terms of what's, hap- what's actually happening with forest cover. That was Sirin Suksuwana, biodiversity conservationist and sustainability practitioner, sharing his thoughts on Budget 2024 in terms of environmental entitlements, what was good, what was not so great, some missed opportunities and what more can be done. We're just going to go for a quick break now. But after that, my conversations with Dr. Helena Vaki and Afendi Yang Amri from the University of Malaya, they'll be sharing their thoughts on what worked and what didn't for Budget 2024, environment and conservation-wise, of course. So keep it here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Stay tuned to BFM's Budget 2024 special, brought to you by Marsing. This BFM Budget 2024 special is brought to you by Marsing. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Gillette Jacobs. It's our annual post-budget show where we take a look at whether the budget for next year prioritised conservation of the environment in a meaningful way. So earlier before the break, you heard my conversation with Surin Suksuwan, a biodiversity conservationist and a sustainability practitioner. He shared his thoughts surrounding things like the increase in EFT allocation and more. But next up is my conversation. But next up, though, is my conversation from earlier today with Dr. Helena Vaki. She's an associate professor of Environmental Politics and Governance at the University of Malaya. Here are some of her thoughts of Budget 2024. 
Hi, Helena. How are you today? Good. Thank you, Juliet. Okay. So we want to break down uh, just certain areas, right, from Budget 2024 uh, that talked about the environment. So um, I know there are a few areas that are of particular interest to you, and I just wanted to help uh, get your thoughts on that. So let's look under commodities. Yeah. So under commodities, um, you know, th- there were plenty of different things, but there was a lot also for palm oil as well, right? Uh, so there's 100 million ringgit allocation for palm oil replanting, which is said to benefit about 7,000 smallholders. There's also something here, which I thought was quite interesting, 70 million ringgit to support the palm oil industry's sustainability programs. Any thoughts on uh, these allocations in particular? Yeah, so let's start with the 70 million for uh, enhancing sustainability. So this is, of course, something that has been ongoing in the industry. Uh, We have this sustainability transition going on for several years now. uh, But the challenge has always been um, somewhat to convince uh, our markets out there that, you know, the sustainability transition is happening and it's happening uh, well enough. So I think it's good for the government to put in a substantial amount of this. Um, however, I think uh, if you want to look a bit closer, we have to sort of examine how this, uh, how this allocation will be uh, ex- exactly implemented, particularly in the sense of in the past, a lot of the debate or the discussion has been about uh, rebutting or pushing back against anti-oil palm campaigns. Mm. So I think while this is indeed um, important and, uh, you know, Malaysia and Indonesia also have been uh, putting a lot of focus on this, I think it's about time for Malaysia to change uh, its angle and rather than being too uh, concerned or too focused on pushing back against the campaigns, um, it really needs to focus about why these campaigns are happening in the first place and what can be done to alleviate the concerns that are at heart. So a lot of these campaigns are based around uh, concerns that there's not enough data being presented in a transparent manner um, and uh, certain things that are happening may not be happening as reported. So I think the priority of the 70 million uh, can actually go towards enhancing uh, reporting, enhancing data uh, transparency in the in the uh, sector and communication uh, between uh, us, uh, the, the producing countries and the uh, consumer countries. So I think uh, if the focus really goes into uh, showing evidence and also supporting this transition further. So not so much on the marketing or mm. the PR side, but actually um, pushing more for the sustainability transition to go. Because uh, we are in a lot of similar countries all over the world. We are all going through this transition, but it's happening at a different pace. So I think it's important for us to uh, communicate what we are doing and also communicate the challenges and what we are doing to overcome these challenges. So with more understanding uh, on both sides, I think then there will be more support and we don't really have to work so hard in um, pushing back against the campaign because uh, our buyers uh, will hopefully then be more convinced in our efforts and it will continue, it will be a natural progression uh, for the world to be more accepting of our sustainable palm oil. One more area that uh, is quite encouraging is the government is uh, also trying to support sustainability and responsible investment uh, by giving tax exemption to fund management companies that are investing in, uh, that are looking into sustainability and responsible investment. So this area is really important um, in the whole ecosystem, for example, like for palm oil sustainability. So one of the issues here is that a lot of our palm oil companies and a lot of how we get the financing from palm oil companies, uh, 
this has come from, of course, banks, and some of them are Malaysian banks. Uh, but the issue here is that um, one of the ways to encourage palm oil companies to be more sustainable is to clean up the banking sector in the sense that putting more strict requirements on financing for let's say palm oil plantations, palm oil mills, to make sure that uh, these plantations and these mills need to show evidence of sustainability. Uh, otherwise, they may not have access to this funding. So this is really important. And uh, big companies like uh, CIMB, Maybank, they are moving towards this. But I think other countries around the world, the banks are moving actually in a much more faster manner. Uh, of course, it's challenging, but I think uh, incentives like this put into the budget uh, hopefully will encourage you know our big banks to really go all out into green financing um, and this will have a knock-on effect into a lot of the big industries palm oil uh, oil um, oil and gas as well uh, to really encourage these companies to make I mean to to we have to face up to the reality that uh, sustainability costs money mm. so if we do offer avenues for more uh, financially friendly sustainability options, these companies may be more eager to make that transition. Do we have any examples from elsewhere that already have this sort of model in place? Yeah, so for, uh, for example, uh, Singapore, uh, DBS has already uh, very specific loans uh, for the palm oil industry, sustainability loans. Uh, and I believe HSBC also has several arrangements as well. Mm. So we see... Um, banks around the region moving mm. towards this. And I think especially since in our part of the world, there is a lot of um, potential markets or potential um, potential clients for uh, things like loans related to natural resource, uh, loans related to you know land use change. So by providing green options for these loans, I think this is a very lucrative area for banks as well. No, definitely. And um, and just moving on, you know, there was a lot under the sustainability and energy transition agenda, right? I mean, we were saying just towards a just, just transition for a sustainable future. That was something else that the uh, Prime Minister spoke about. And, you know, I mean, many, many things there. Two billion ringgit to support the National Energy Transition Roadmap. Uh, you know, so many things for financial institutions, right? Provide 200 billion ringgit financing to encourage low carbon economy um, uh, transition. Uh, one thing in particular, I think, caught, uh, you know, carbon markets as well. That was mentioned as well, right? And 300,000 ringgit uh, additional tax deduction for companies spending on their measurement, reporting and verification, right? Related to carbon project developments. I know you had some thoughts on that as well. Yeah, so actually my thoughts on this is more towards the monitoring, reporting and verification itself. So I think this is really important and it's really good that the government is paying more attention to the importance. This also links back to what I said about uh, mm. oil palm, uh, the fact about data being very important in today's uh, day and age, because it's really important for us to be able to measure what has been done and reported in a way that the world can understand and it is a uh, standardized uh, manner. So uh, while this is good for carbon projects, uh, I want to just highlight that, uh, you know, um, one thing that I find still lacking in the budget is that there isn't still uh, attention on other types of greenhouse gases. So, uh, for example, uh, on methane, which is the second largest uh, emitter of greenhouse gases, uh, the issue here is 
is that methane uh, is emitted by our our major industries, uh, oil and gas and palm oil. Uh, and the very problem here or the very challenge here is about monitoring, reporting and verification. So these big companies do need to be supported by the government um, either to uh, either through uh, what has been proposed, uh, which is tax deductions or in, uh, in different manners, so that they will start to measure uh, methane emissions uh, properly as well, mm. and they have an incentive to do that. So I think while it's well and good for us to keep focusing, uh, as the budget has done a lot on carbon, but this is a missed opportunity uh, because methane is the second largest and it involves our largest uh, industries. And I think um, the industries now really need more motivation and really need more government support to move towards being more serious about uh, methane itself. So I think this is a missed opportunity here. Okay, all right. One other big one I think that uh, caught everyone's attention, that was the uh, increase in budget yeah, for the for the ecological fiscal transfer. So that was, uh, it's up to 200 million ringgit now, right? Up from 150 million ringgit, I think it was uh, what, 90 million when it first started, right? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that, uh, I mean, again, still very much lower than what was the 1 billion ringgit manif- uh, in the PH manifesto, right? Yeah, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? So I think the ecological fiscal transfers are really important uh, because our states, uh, especially our large states with a lot of forest coverage, um, they have to deal with a lot of their budgets by themselves and therefore uh, forests and natural resources become a very easy way for them to um, to fill their, their budgets and provide them expenses needed to run the state. So I think um, we need a much bigger allocation uh, to encourage uh, states to look at natural resources in a different way. Uh, Natural resources are not as something to exploit, uh, however, but to maintain, not only for income purposes, so for example, if that can be uh, integrated into the carbon markets, but also in terms of um, uh, society and adaptation uh, and also mitigation uh, in terms of the importance of keeping these uh, watersheds, these natural forests intact so that their people will be uh, better protected uh, during times of extreme weather. So, for example, like when we have uh, uh, situations of floods, it's very important to keep watersheds intact. So I think um, the the sense here needs to change uh, states to look at uh, natural resources quite differently. And I think uh, increased budget will allow them to have that breathing room so that they can uh, try to uh, look for other options uh, for uh, monetizing their natural resources. Okay. All right. And just one final thing I wanted to get your thoughts on. So there have been a lot, as we mentioned, a lot on, um, I guess, decarbonizing as well, right? Uh, mixing up our energy, uh, a lot of move towards a renewable energy as well. I think one that was quite, I think, got a lot of attention huh, in the in the news, especially, was the fact that the uh, government ha- are planning to use electric vehicles, isn't it? Uh, um, yeah, so it sounds quite clickbaity, huh, that kind of thing. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so there's been so much uh, in the budget actually about electrification of our vehicles. It's the government fleet, it's motorcycles, it's buses. So I think while 
technically this is good because obviously it would uh, contribute to lesser pollutions on the road. Uh, but I think essentially we may be a bit premature in pushing this so quickly now because uh, we are very much in the beginning stage of our energy transition. Our energy mix is still very much reliant on fossil fuels and coal. So essentially whatever electricity that is produced to power these electric vehicles are still essentially coming from um, you know, less clean or non-clean uh, sources of energy. So I think the, the main thing we have to look at is to really fix our energy mix first, uh, to really sort out things like uh, solar powers and um, uh, motivation for, for, for uh, companies and houses to shift over or to include solar panels on their, on, on their premises so that we can clean up or balance out our energy mix before um, going into the electrification of uh, vehicles. I think something maybe more, um, more feasible at this stage while we're still making this energy mix transition is to look at things like hybrid cars. Uh, we used to have tax breaks for hybrid cars. Um, so hybrid cars are relatively perhaps more cleaner because uh, they use um, petrol, but they also generate their own energy as well. At this stage, looking at our energy mix, uh, we also need to fix our public transport system to encourage people to move completely away from uh, vehicles, you know, first last mile kind of stuff and, you know, really encourage the green mobility. It is very challenging for Malaysia because we have this climate. Uh, but I think if we are really serious about cleaning up our mobility system, um, it really needs to start uh, with public transport and looking back at how we get our energy in the first place. You just heard from Dr. Helena Vaki, an Associate Professor of Environmental Politics and Governance at the University of Malaya, sharing her thoughts on what she thought was encouraging from Budget 2024, but also some missed opportunities. Earlier today, I also caught up with Dr. Helena's colleague from the University of Malaya, Afendi Yang Amri, who is a coral reef ecologist. He's also the president of the Malaysian Society of Marine Sciences. So we focus a lot, you know, in our previous two conversations on terrestrial conservation. What about marine conservation? Here's my chat with Afendi. Hello, Afendi. How are you today? Hi, Juliet. I'm fine. Hope you're well too. I am, I am. Thank you so much uh, for joining me today to sort of uh, break down a little bit of what the budget uh, 2024 had for the environment. So, of course, uh, you know, Afendi, the reason I wanted to speak to you in particular is because you are, you know, coming from the marine environment uh, sphere, right? So you are a coral reef ecologist, of course. Two questions for you. Uh, what do you thought worked and what you thought didn't work? Let's start with what did you think uh, was good from budget 2024 when it came to environmental uh, entitlements? Um, one, I think it was very good that the government gave a more budget for the ecological fiscal transfer, which considered about conservation, enforcement and reforestation, uh, and also for the biodiversity suko uh, for reforestation. So it seems that the government is focusing more on about nature and also about more incentives for green energy and technology. I think these are the three main ones that I was happy to to hear about uh, the government's more, uh, the government is giving more focus on, on those things. Yep. Okay, so the thing about it is though, I mean, when I was going through it, I didn't see any sort of mention on the marine environment. Uh, would I be wrong in saying that? Did you come across anything that I didn't? Uh, yes, I think you're spot on. Um, <laughs> I'm very happy for my forest friends, on the terrestrial friends, uh, but uh, I feel a bit disappointed that there was no mention on marine, especially uh, we are looking at uh, about uh, 
the carbon, voluntary carbon market and whatnot, then in the tax incentives and also about the under the ecological fiscal transfer, the reforestation is always mentioned about forests. Mm. Uh, but marine component was not specifically mentioned, uh, especially about seagrass, coral reefs, and also about the enforcement under the EFT, which is ecological fiscal transfer. Uh, everything mentioned about community ranges on on land, uh, but what about the marine? So I hope that this would be more focused on for the next year's budget uh, because uh, I would feel that the uh, other thing that was, uh, that was missing as well is about ecosystem restoration under the nature-based solutions mm -hmm. uh, because there were a lot of things uh, about um, we're looking at flood disasters, water woos, food security, carbon sequestration, carbon things. And most of this could be packed under ecosystem restoration under NBS, the nature-based solutions. solutions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think just with mentioning more on NBS and ecosystem restoration, especially for marine, you could tackle a lot of these things at once. And um, I'm happy to say that especially for, I'm, I'm a coral ecologist in University of Malaya. We are going through our project Puleh, which is about restor restoring marine ecosystems, the coral reefs and seagrass. And we, we were hoping that this budget had those, men those mentions so that we can ask for more grants and more help and support from the private, from the private sector. Yeah. Okay. So because... I mean, you've in, in many previous interviews, both you and Dr. Jiren Wee as well, right? I mean, you've spoken about, you know, the immense benefits that these ecosystems provide to livelihoods, isn't it? You want to just remind us about why it's so important that, you know, we do also focus on marine uh, and the marine environment, on conserving, on uh, restoring our marine environments as well? Yes. Uh, for seagrass, coral reefs, uh, once we can restore it, once it's, 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 um, it's functioning well, it actually actually gives us first, the main one would be about food security. Mm -hmm. And there were some, the tax incentives and also the support from the government in the budget for fishermen, right? That's right. Uh, those are the su just support in trying to get their livelihoods better. But if they have good seagrass, they have good quarries, fish, their fish catch automatically will be there. And this will help them to generate money and also basically at the end of the day, it will be for their well-being mm. because food and money will be there for them. Yeah? yeah. So we are hoping that this one will be included next, maybe in the next budget, which is missing in this budget. Yeah, because so rather than sort of like uh, give a bandaid for like in this in these sort of like allocations for fishermen, I mean like fix the root causes. Like look to the nature-based solutions, fix the root causes before you sort of like uh, try and do some damage control on the other end, right? You're not looking at this uh, holistically. Would you say that's the yeah. problem here? Yeah. Uh, yes. So so for for us, uh, we feel that the the marine ecosystems must be restored as best as possible because it will give one the food security, even also you will tackle some of the issues of um, water, the water cycle, um, and also about floods and storms, you know, coming in. Yeah, yeah. Corals and seagrass protect the coastline. So the budget for, for, the, for the country, it did not mention about those kind of restor restoration uh, support. 
Yeah. Mm, yeah. And when we're talking about the climate crisis, of course, you know, we're talking about increased uh, incidences of storms and things like that. We need our coastal protection. We need, I mean, we've seen what has happened in the past. And if we don't protect, you know, all these land reclamations happening, all these, you know, degradation happening. Yeah, it's, it's going to come to impact us sooner or later if we really, uh, if we don't uh, take the measures now, correct? Yes. Uh, exactly. So we need we need to be protecting uh, or managing these uh, issues at the ecosystem level, because those those are the, that way we can tackle a lot of the other issues uh, for our our people and also our country. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be looking at it at a more holistic point of view, yeah. uh, which uh, I would say the nature based solutions and the ecosystem restoration would tackle those issues and i'm happy to say also as the malaysian society of marine sciences we're getting a uh, we are going to get a lot of support for finding new corals that are resilient to uh high temperature which is the climate change okay all right so you've got your work cut out for you let's hope you know the government also realizes that for the next budget we will talk to you early next year uh to remind them about this but um anything else uh, you wanted to highlight Afendi? Uh, I I just wanted to highlight also uh, that uh, it was very nice to hear, very good to hear that the, in the budget they were looking at the voluntary carbon market, mm. which I think uh, is really really good, um, as because as we know that um, like one marine ecosystem, which is the seagrass, is at least thirty five times more efficient at get at trapping carbon compared to our forests, but it won't was missing in the in our budget about seagrass. Yeah. So I yeah. So those those are the things that we I wanted to highlight. More more marine, please. And last thing I, I forgot oh, to yes. highlight. Yeah. Uh, they were talking more about uh restoring and whatnot, but um there was uh little or no mention about uh expanding our protected areas. Okay, all right. You wanna you wanna go yeah. and mention that? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so uh so there were a lot of um, about um, enforcement and uh, and reforestation and whatnot, um, but there were no mention about expanding our protected areas on land and also in in on in the sea, marine protected areas. So I would say that there there should be more incentives, especially for from the federal to the state governments, about uh, expanding more areas to be protected or managed better. That was Afendi Yang Amri, a coral reef ecologist at University of Malaya and the president of the Malaysian Society of Marine Sciences, sharing, well, you know, some very missed opportunities in terms of protecting our marine environment uh, and also sharing what he hopes the budget will prioritise next year. Sadly, again, this year, no mention of marine environment at all, hopefully in 2025. Marine conservation really, really matters too, as Afendi outlined earlier. So we have more coverage on the budget across the station in the days to come, so do keep tuned to BFM 89.9. But if you miss any part of today's coverage on Earth Matters, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my slash earth. You can also find it on the BFM app. Again, my thanks to all three of my guests who I caught up with this morning, Surin Suksuwan, biodiversity conservationist and sustainability practitioner, Dr. Helena Vaki, an associate professor of environmental politics and governance at University of Malaya, and Defendi Young Amri, a coral reef ecologist from University of Malaya and the president of the Malaysian Society of Marine Sciences. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. This BFM Budget 2024 special was brought to you by Marsing. Reinvent spaces, enhance life.
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.